time to critical thinking for everyone! Welcome, welcome. I hope you feel welcomed. You should feel welcomed. We are here for you for the next 58 minutes to talk about something. We're going to talk about critical thinking. Oh, how boring. Not again. Haven't we done that like 165 times? We, we have. We have. And you know what, folks? We just keep bringing it at you. Do we want to keep doing it? I think we do. Okay. We, I think we what do. do. We, what, what do we bring in the critical thinking? What does that do for people? Okay. Good question. I'm so glad you asked, Brian Barnes. Oh, yes, Patty Paya. Tell us what's, tell us what's good about critical <laughs> okay. thinking. Okay. What is great about critical thinking is that, listen, folks and Brian, mm. you're thinking all day long. Uh-huh. You could be thinking poorly or yep. you could be thinking really well. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay? Yeah, okay. So the difference between thinking poorly and thinking well is... Critical thinking? Kind of. Okay. But it's... Intentionality, awareness, deliberation. Okay, so we're trying to have a better thinking process. Yeah, we're trying to be more aware of our thinking, to harness it, to catch it when it's going, taking us off the rails, whether it's our biases, whether it's our emotions. So if we're thinking all day long, why not spend some time trying to improve our thinking? Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, maybe if we weren't thinking, this wouldn't seem so important. Like if thinking was exactly. was just the kind of thing that maybe we did every once in a while, but for the most part we didn't do it. But that's not really the position we find ourselves in. I mean, I think we do. Um, I think we do a lot of thinking during the day. You uh, know. Yeah, it's, we do. It, it's like it's nonstop. Right, and a lot of times it's unconscious. And, right. Right. We're just kind of going through the motions. But that's like, the literally. thing is, if we if we're doing it in this very consistent way, sort of that that it's happening all day long. Wouldn't maybe we want to do better? Wouldn't we want it to be the best that it can be? I mean, we often talk about how thinking ends up uh, creating our future, creating our possibilities and our outcomes, right? So really, um, if I was spending my time every day swinging from a trapeze, yeah, and some I, people do. Some people do. I bet I would want to have the strongest hands I could have. Yes. I think nice. so. Just because I think it would be nice really analogy. important. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be important for a trapeze artist. To have strong hands and to not be just going through the motions as a, as a trapeze artist, but to be on your game, to well, have your head in the game. I would think you would want to have your head in the game under that kind of thing, <laughs> right? For sure. Yeah. And then maybe also they... Um, you know, those trapeze artists would want to probably have, like, really good balance and stuff. I would just think that some of these skills of focus and balance and hand strength and stuff, if I was a person who was hanging out a lot on a trapeze, I and, and somebody said, hey, you know what? You can develop these parts of your performance that are really important when you're not on the trapeze. Like, you can certainly do it up there, but you could do it in this other less high stakes, more controlled, maybe everyday sort of environment, I would think that maybe those trapeze artists would be in a position to benefit. Now, of course, we don't know what all 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 the reasons are people don't do stuff that's good for them. But, I mean, that would be a sort of thing where you'd go, God, trapeze artist, why wouldn't you want stronger hands? Yes. And I think that's where we are here. 
you bunch of trapeze artists. That's right. You're swinging from idea to idea all day long. Oh man, it's like it's like the jungle. You're on a tight rope of decision making throughout your day. It's like Mario in a video <laughs> game with vines. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to be a really good, skillful thinker? Because you don't give a crap. Well, okay, maybe, or maybe you just haven't practiced the tools. Maybe you believe that you are already the best thinker you can be. Ouch. So that would be a real waste of my time. Yeah, I don't know if you should be, I think you should be listening to the show if you're willing, willing to think about that question. How can I be a better thinker? Yeah, it's tough, you know, because I think a lot of people, I think we imagine that we're that character sometimes in a movie. You know, the one... um, Which movie? Well, I'm thinking in particular of this movie, uh, it was also a book... Probably not great critical thinking fair, but uh, American Clockwork Psycho. Orange. Oh, American, <laughs> American Psycho. Psycho. I am familiar with the book and the movie. So the guy, the main character, he right? has this one line early on when we meet him. And he's yeah. a terrible character for sure. Right. But a he, psycho killer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he has this one line where he talks about his morning ritual. Yeah. And that he does sit-ups every morning. Yeah. And now... It's gotten to the point where he can do a thousand. Yeah. Every morning. Really? Yeah, that's one of the lines in the book. And I think to myself, whenever I see that, I think to myself, if I could do a thousand sit ups in a day, like if I could just sit down and bust right. out a thousand sit ups, right. would I? Right. Just like, would I? Wouldn't I just be like, God, I'm so, I mean, what a waste of my time. Like, a th- that's an hour you could be. I don't know how long else. it takes to do a thousand. I'm, I have no idea. But I think that it would be – I think that you might be in a position if you could do a 1,000 sit-ups to maybe think that you don't need sit-ups. Mm. Like maybe you got that. Yeah. And I think that whenever I hear people say, well, I don't really need to improve my thinking, I kind of always think of that American Psycho character. I go, oh, you already got all your sit-ups, have you? <laughs> like I am so good at this because that whole character is all about like how awesome I am. Yeah. Right. And he gets thrown off by the most innocuous and mundane things like people, other people's business cards and stuff and their ties and their haircuts. It's so ridiculous when you consider the amount of um, maybe power that he would have in one area if he just would continue wow. to work on it. I'm, I'm not saying he's a great moral character. I'm just yeah. saying that a lot of us could really do a lot. Let's go before this before this analogy just goes off yeah, a ravine. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. yeah. A lot Where of us could do a lot better thinking if we just believed that we would improve. Right. Because all of us could probably improve our thinking. And most mm-hmm. of us don't work very hard to improve our thinking except in one area of mm. thinking, like something that we care about. Yeah. But generally, we might not do it at all. Well, today's topic, it's so funny that this is now leading into this. Today's topic is nihilism. Nihilism. Didn't we just do that? No, we didn't just do it. What we did was, okay, so since you're asking, we did a show. I'm asking for our our listeners. You're listening to our show. Okay. (laughs) Last spring, listeners and Brian, last spring we did a show called something around like what is the meaning of life. And as part of that show, we looked at different schools of thought, different Mm -hmm. philosophical or ideological approaches to giving meaning into your life, like the Confucius, you know, what do they say about what's important in in meaningful life? You know, and then we, so we did talk about nihilism briefly. Okay. But. But it's back. But it's back. As if it has meaning. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thank All right. You. So for its very own show, because it deserves it. Does it? I thought it was like nothing. <laughs> Is this Seinfeld? Is this our Seinfeld episode? We're going to well, do a show about nothing? Well, I'm hoping you, as the professional philosopher, can first give us some insight into nihilism, but there's a new book out. And I read and this author's essay about her book and about nihilism. Is she a nihilist? And, well, yes. Yeah. But I got to tell you, her book I found totally intriguing, and her her approach and thinking about it's fascinating. It's, I found it fascinating. It strikes me as absolutely contradictory that I would be a nihilist <laughs> who writes a book. That <laughs> just strikes me as well, you, you you missed something <laughs> somewhere. Well, wait till she see, tells you what's happened to things like existential dread. <laughs> during COVID. Do things happen to existential dread? I, I thought existential dread happened. I didn't know that, like, things happened to it. Like, it got a tie. It, it's it's sort of, like, trendy. It, it, it likes green tea now. Existential dread. Like, I don't know. It got a condo. You are cracking me up. All right. You are cracking me up. Okay. So... We're going to – this book is so cool. I'm just going to do a little teaser with the title of the book. Okay. Well, and before gonna, before yeah. you tease that, yeah. let me tease that you are probably listening to this ridiculousness, <laughs> which is probably meaningless when you get right down to it, on 106.5 FM WFMP. This is Forward Radio, Social Justice Radio out of Louisville, Kentucky, out of the Hayburn Building in downtown Louisville. We are coming at you. You can check out forwardradio.org for a schedule. You can check out forwardradio.org to get your own program going. I'm going to be starting a new program called Local Disruption. You are? I am. Local Disruption will be upon us in a week (gasps) or two. All about emerging technologies. Yeah, it's with this this guy named Aaron Kaczynski who... um, who is an inventor here in Louisville, and he has invented a solar system, a solar battery system that's off the grid. And um, he wants oh. to talk about how society's going to collapse because emerging technologies are going to rip it apart. Wait a wow, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, first of all, are you doing just interviewing him or is this a whole show? It's a it's a show of me interviewing him. Really? <laughs> sure. But I mean like a series? Yeah, yeah, he wants wow. to do it. He wants to um he wants to talk about this and I'm just trying to bring some stuff out. Look at you. And uh hopefully in the future, you know, there'll be somebody else to interview him. I mean, I don't know if I want to do it forever, but that's how we're starting off cuz I'm really interested in some of these questions that he has about social disruption. Okay. Well, then it's going to be on the I've access got... hour next week. Okay. I've got some questions for him. Great. Okay. So Let's set that aside. Sure. Because I saw a movie over the weekend that really was very intriguing. Did he make a movie? Intriguing. No, I saw a oh. movie that I want to talk to. I was going to say, he's a photogenic guy. I want to talk to about him. It. Okay? Right. Yeah. I'm really interested in this. Great. Okay? Great. Okay. So look at you doing more stuff, just buddy. trying to Just trying to spread the word. If you go to 106.5 FM Forward Radio's website, which is yes. forwardradio.org, you'll get information about how to start your own show or join our board. To directors, or you know, otherwise help out the radio station. You about I can do it. I can know, do it. Yeah, mad scientist idea you got going on. And you can donate. 
And you can donate. 20 donate bones a day is what we need to keep the lights on. Yep. Yep. Okay, so nihilism. Let's get back to that. Oh, man. Like, I've never seen somebody <laughs> so excited to talk about nothing. I know. I know. And, you know, nihilism. I used to think about nihilism this way. Okay. Remember that show, The Walking Dead? The Walking Dead. Remember that I'm show? I'm familiar. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was a comic, I guess, then a show. Uh-huh. Okay. So years ago, I don't even know if it's still on the air, but years ago it started. And I watched, I watched the first season, okay. and which was very gripping, okay. right? And, and very, you know, it's a, for those of you who don't know, it's a show about the zombie apocalypse, basically. Sure. And a group of people trying to survive sure. against the zombies, okay? Mm. So it was on Sunday nights, okay? This was a long time ago. This, this, we used to have cable back in the day. So it was on, it was on Sunday nights. Sure. And I would watch the show. Uh-huh. Remember, it's Sunday night. Uh-huh. The next day is Monday. Uh-huh. So I'm watching this show uh-huh. about the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. And I would turn off the TV and I would have such, <laughs> I would call it like this nihilistic Sunday night. Like, you know, Sunday nights are already like, okay, let's get our game face on for Monday. Let's dive back right, in. Right. It was really like did a number on my head. So, like, you didn't want to dive in for Monday? Because it was like this nihilist, like, what's the freaking point? You know, the show is just so... So, but it, but it's a show. Yeah, it's a TV show. Why right. does it, why did it affect you so? No, it was just because, you know, sometimes you watch a show and uh-huh. it puts you in a mood. It okay. just puts you in a mood. It's not like puts it you in stayed a mood for, with for me. For killing zombies. <laughs> puts you in a mood of, like... Uh, humans like really struggling to survive and pretty violent and yeah. and really like dark. Yeah. And so it always it always makes me want to add another lock or something to my door. <laughs> really, that's or the mood. Like, it's sort of yeah, like for those. I'm you like sharpen I gotta, your I gotta sword. Sharp, I gotta sharpen some yeah. stuff. I gotta yeah. check my. For bullets. me, it was a little more like, uh, oh man, that yeah. is a rough way to end the week. That's not what we want. Or start the week. Yeah. Yeah. So just think I, if you were out there in the bushes with your machete. <laughs> So so I used to think of nihilism was just sort of this feeling of like, what's the point? Okay. Okay. So then uh-huh. you and I have been touched on nihilism here and there and, sure. and through our sure. our frolicking through the philosophical meadow of the of the show for the last three and a half years. Can I give uh, a can I give a frolicking sound? Yeah. La 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 la. But if it's frolicking through philosophical ideas, what does the sound like? La 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 la. Slight variation. <laughs> Slight variation. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, my yeah. my apologies to the Smurfs. <laughs> oh, I didn't even pick that up. Smurf theme. I did not Smurf even pick that theme. up. Well, I mean, I feel like when we talk about frolicking through philosophical mushroom fields. That's yeah. Yeah. Wow, we are bringing on the TV references today. I tell you what, the Smurfs are never far from me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what about nihilism, though? Mm. Nihilism is never far from me. Uh, sound, can people hear me like hitting you? Are they wondering what the sound is? Why is she hitting me? Talk about nihilism. I'm like punching no, them. This and, is, like, and this then... is sadism. It's different. That's a different and show. I'm, this like, is a... emphasizing my points on his chest. I am. This is the masochist side of the show. So we got a lot of isms. We got, we got a sadism, a, a masochism, a nihilism. But nihilism. Okay, so here's yeah. the name of the book. Okay, it's called The Sunny Nihilist: How a Meaningless Life Can Make You Truly Happy. Boy, I'm already I'm already confused. <laughs> By Wendy, I don't know. Sifrit? You know, Sifrit. Hey, let me Plus. let me just be the first to Plus. say who cares. Uh, 
<laughs> okay, it goes buddy. with the show. I know it, it does. It goes with the show. I know. All right. So before we dive, she <clears throat> has some really interesting things I, I want to unpack I think we've with already you. Di- I think we've already dived. I want to. We're swimming. <laughs> She's moving her hands, kind of like, kind of like in the Lady Gaga video with the la 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 la. It's like it's kind of a swimming wow. thing. Wow. Yeah. Too bad this is not a video show. We're missing. We're missing it. We're missing We've it. We've got a lot of hand gestures. Yeah. Today. If you really like the video show that we did, then then you ago. should let us know. Yeah. Um, and we'll be happy to do another one for you. Yeah, we would love to. Yeah. So okay, now. I'm going to give you my best one-sentence definition of what I think nihilism is, and then you're going to give me your one-sentence definition, okay? It won't matter. (laughs) Stop! Stop, you're cracking me up. Okay, my one-sentence definition. Nihilism is the belief that there is no meaning in life, or no meaning can be extracted from life. Right. Which one? There's no meaning, or no meaning can be extracted? Well, it depends. It depends. It depends on your version of nihilism, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is this goes back to the ancient um cynics, I think. What? Yeah. Ancient cynics. Now you're just making up groups. I do. I do. Ancient I cynics? To. Yeah, really? the cynics. The cynics were um were a group that believed um that they're really it's not exactly the same, but the cynics believed that we should always be trying to seek truth, but we probably won't be able to locate it. Okay, so where did they come vis-a-vis Plato or Socrates? Like? Afterward, um, sort of cont- the the first the first cynic, if you believe, you know, <laughs> there's an there's an argument about this that no one cares about. Talk about meaningless. Anyway, the first cynic, in my view, is this guy named Diogenes, who was a contemporary of Plato. Oh, really? Was yeah. he sort of like his nemesis? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there are a few stories that have the two of them going back and forth. A, you know, with one another, but it's very difficult to know because Plato would have been quite a bit older than Diogenes, probably. Um, Diogenes lived kind of, he shunned the trappings of society. Some people believe because he was like he he lost his fortune in and his social standing in a disgraceful action that he um, that he participated mm. in, or maybe it was something else. But at any rate, he ended up sort of um, just challenging all convention, challenging the idea that any of our social structures or ideas about what's right or wrong or appropriate are actually based in anything real. Yeah. That's isn't that sort of a central tenet of nihilism? It's well, like I mean, all, everything's a construct. I don't. Yeah, yeah, and I don't like I said. I don't think we had exactly that, but I think for for Diogenes, just the the point was that um, you could live very well without all of that, and that ended up inspiring the Stoics a little bit yes, later. Yes, I have heard of the Stoics. And the Stoics again have an idea that there is meaning to be had in the universe, but it takes a certain it takes a certain very disciplined approach to find it, right? So they are going in a different direction from like nihilists when you come from the the cynic beginning. So okay. so so the nihilists the nihilists essentially are going to reject all of this stuff is being untrue, typically. I mean, of course, we have our own flavors here with yeah. Wendy and everybody else. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think the ni- the nihilists are going to um, just imagine that maybe all attempts at finding meaning are going to be um, ultimately suspect and, and, you know, 
not really point to anything at all. Wow. So, so I think that thinking in the philosophical tradition really starts, even though there's probably not a direct line of like teacher to student, I think that uh, some of the nihilist positions are inspired by that ancient cynicism. Oh, see, I didn't realize that. It really goes back to... I think so. I mean, okay. again, some people would disagree, and it depends on the nihilist that you look at, but we also have nihilism that grows out of, like, anarchy, right? Like the notion of, of, of you know, we don't want structures and groups determining things about us, right? We don't want mm. a system at all. We want we don't want systems. Oh wow. Right. That's, so we want oof, so the abs the absence of leadership, the absence of systems. Government anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there's a wow. there's a certain nihilism that grows out of an embracing of that kind of a system that it all it all ends up looking a lot like The Walking Dead. Punk, I was gonna say, <laughs> but maybe maybe The Walking Dead. I'm more. I know a little bit more about punk than I do about The Walking Dead, so I'll just leave that there. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It's really interesting stuff, especially if you're a person who's super invested in meaning. Yes. Okay. It seems really weird. Okay. Well, that leads us to her her book. Okay? All right, Wendy. Let's see what. All right. Got. Here's what she's got for you. All right. Again, she I says, I contend that if you're a nihilist writing a book, you've gotten you've done something wrong. She already. says, uh, well, she starts off. This is, by the way, this is an essay she wrote for The Guardian, which where she's kind of like laying out some of the central tenets of her book. Okay, okay. so I've not read her book, but yeah. but I've read read about it and I've read a review that went into it. Anyway, she says, you know, nihilism does not exactly have the sunniest reputation, mm-hmm. right? She says, at its simplest, it's a declaration that life is meaningless. Yeah. That the systems we subscribe to give us a sense of purpose, such as religion, politics, etc., are constructs. Notions of morality, decency, and goodness are not inherent to the fabric of existence, but concepts we allow to dictate our collective reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just let's just revisit that point. That's an important point for for listeners. Notions of morality, decency, and goodness are not inherent to the fabric of existence, but concepts we allow to dictate our collective reality. So these are the idea of, of morality is not something that's just sort of naturally part of who we are and what we do. These are things that we learn, create, reinforce, articulate. Fair? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She says, sure, maybe stating that everything you love, value, or seek isn't meaningless can be bitter. You know, that all these things are bitter. But it doesn't have to be. Mm. Okay. So you to say that these things are meaningless. Right. Okay. It doesn't have to be a bitter truth. Okay. What she says is, after spending two years engrossed in nihilism, meaning while she was working on this book, okay. I've become particularly sensitive to our relationship to quote-unquote meaning as an opaque but all-consuming idea. The desire to live a meaningful life isn't a bad thing. Foundational theories of community, ethics, logic, and equality were born from humanity's investigation of it. My issue is how meaning has been commodified. That's sure. really interesting. So what is she saying here? What do you hear her saying here? That this idea about this relationship of meaning and living a meaningful life isn't a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think she's just saying that, you know, there's not like like all of the meaning that we have. We take more or less from society and social cues and that. Maybe that's um, maybe that's quite positive as a way to you know go through the world, but it's artificial. Right. She says that um, she has this little game that she plays: spot the meaningless meaning. 
This refers to increasing desire for every brand, product, or service to present itself as somehow meaningful. So she says like it could be like a podcast that talks about community memory or nostalgia for like two minutes, and then it starts going into mortgage insurance. Or a pharmacy brand, like a makeup, that positions itself as a radical weapon of self-expression. So she's saying that what you can really see is that the marketplace is trying to give, yeah. trying to sell us meaning through all of these Quite obviously. things, yep. right? That's right. She says that if a brand, product, or service is able to offer a shadow of that satisfaction for a fraction of the toil, so in other words... Instead of seeking and creating meaning, we're trying to buy things to give our life meaning, right? And we go, hey, for 100 bucks, I can get these new sneakers, and man, that's going to bring a lot of happiness and joy to my life, and tell me who I am. I think that's, that's her point, right? Well, I mean, that is a thing that is promised. <laughs> yeah. In what way? Like, what do you mean when you say promise? Well, I know? mean, it's it's promised. Like that, in the marketplace? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think advertising does that. I think advertising leaves us with the understanding that we are going to uh, be improved in some ways by our purchases and that the purchases, we're also told that the items that we are to purchase only are there at all to be purchased because we the consumers have made it so. Like we have requested that. We have demanded it of the marketplace. And so when we find the thing that we want, that reinforces the idea that we're actually making a purchase that is significant because it's there. It's solving a problem in our life, right? It's a it's a it, the product already exists to solve my problem. I didn't even know I had the problem until last week. But look there's a product that's designed exactly. So this must be a real human problem. And I'm engaged in an adult organized solution oh. for it, right? Because I can just go and I have the resources to go and buy this solves my problem. And that's what this money is for, right? This that's money, what it's for. This money is to make me happy. And to, in order to make me happy, I need these things. It's the only reason that the stuff exists because it's not. And I mean, I could spend my money on other things, but if I spent my money on things that were not of a type that they solved my problems, then that would be a waste. I see. You see, right. so I need to find that thread that's in culture already that that it has the truth, yeah. right? That it's corresponding with what really right. helps boy, me live a better life. And then when I put it on or wear it or consume it, wow, I feel I feel whole for like 15 minutes <laughs> until the next thing. Well, and, and a lot of times, you know, these days, of course, you know, people understand these problems. So the, the uh, producers and marketers, they create these environments for us to you know, interact with. So it's not just, I bought this jacket. It's that there's a bunch of people who bought this jacket and they have a community and yes. you're, you're in that now. Okay. okay. And so you have meaning and belonging, okay. right? Okay. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Cause right. You know, who cares about your church or your neighborhood, right? Th this is where you're going to find meaning and belonging. Well, the thing is right? about church and neighborhood is it's so passive. There's just stuff there, and you kind of move into it, and you you know you can only do so much. But the store, 
there's where you can make a real impact, right? Because you shape it with your dollars along with others in the right. community. Right, and you take it home and you you hug it to yourself, whatever you, it is. You do, you do, <laughs> and you and you tell those people at the store the things that you want, and they make sure that those things show up, and wow. new stores pop up to satisfy, amazingly, problems you didn't even know that you wow. had. Okay, all right. So I'm, I'm starting to go into nihilism now. Okay, yeah. Well. It's easy to slip off the other side of orderliness when you're in capitalism and end up having it mean nothing. <laughs> Super easy to fall off that cracker, I think. All right. So here's what that just made me think of. So there are shopping centers that are basically – they're basically lifestyle centers. Do you know what I mean by that? I don't know if I do. Okay, so, so this first came up about – 15 years ago, before we moved away from when we were living in East Lansing, and they built a new this new shopping center, and like, and they took a field, right, and as they do, right, and the capitalism does, and like, yeah. the, okay, so I, I, we drive in, and I'm looking, I had one of the few restaurants we could actually take our toddlers to, because taking a toddler to a restaurant is like, it's so much work, right? So I had one of the few restaurants where we could, that was very kid-oriented, so okay. we would, all right, yeah. so we drive in, and I'm looking around, and I'm going, okay, there's a pottery barn, there's a Gap, there's an Apple Store, there's a right like I'm I'm looking and there's a high end shoe store and I'm and I'm realizing that this it, and, and somehow it, it I'm not sure how it came to my attention either somebody pointed out or I read this is a lifestyle center where all of the stores convey a kind of feeling of aspect aspirational feeling like okay. pottery barn get tells you what your home should look like the shoe store tells you what you should like it's like a aspire to to have a life that reflects all so a lifestyle center that's mm-hmm. what and i was like it was a little it was a little um what's the word a little off-putting a little mm. creepy mm. it was it was weird and it's also enclosed so you go in and you park and it's sort of meant to like surround you, and you're supposed to just have everything fulfilled and needed right there. Well, that is, of course, the capitalist utopian dream. It is. Oh, sure. What? That. Well, you create a shopping area that everyone um, goes to because it actually satisfies all of their wants, and then once they get there, you don't let them leave. Oh, they just keep spending and well, more, I mean, more and more. Well, maybe you put some apartments in there. They can just live there. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Or or, yeah. or this is the destination that they constantly return to because this is the only place they need to go to get their shopping wow. done. You know, when you – I mean, if you can create that kind of a destination that people really find yeah. that it integrates into their lives, then I think, yeah. you, I think you have something that people want. They had actually had an independent bookstore, and when I visited earlier this year, the independent bookstore had gone out. Well, it's one of the first things to go. I know. All right, so this is what she's saying. So at first, it feels great to pretend every mundane task is a noble pursuit. Mm. So, right, she's saying, like like we're saying, buying your shoes or going, you know, running errands or going through your day. Like every choice has meaning. When I go into Starbucks, what I buy, right, she's saying, I feel like what she's saying is we're – we're giving all of these things significance in our life. We do. Right. And she feels, but looking at our lives and all the ways these artificial yet heroic messages of meaning are pushed on us, does this habit actually make anyone feel better? Yeah. The reality is all this meaning doesn't improve our understanding of the world. It distorts it. Sure. Before the market for it exploded, most people located meaning in a few areas. 
a handful of relationships, religion, a single creative passion. Mm. That I found so fascinating. I would just say it again. Before the market for it exploded, most people located meaning in a few areas, a handful of relationships, religion, a single creative passion. Mm. So what's, what really interests me about that is before everything became commodified and a brand and artisanal and like everything, then not everything was like this huge choice and representative of who I am as a person, the cheese I buy or the underwear I select or the, the, the streaming service I subscribe to, like all of those things I can use to confer meaning and tell me who I am. But before that, I, she's saying, she's arguing, we created meaning through more, quote unquote, meaningful things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think about this I don't know idea. what's more meaningful. I mean, I mean, I, I know, I mean, those, you know, those handful of relationships, blah, 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 but I don't know that that's any more meaningful just because we attach our cares to a smaller number of things. Why would that be more meaningful? I don't know if she's saying a smaller number of things. I think what she's saying. Small number of relationships. What she's saying a few areas that we, yeah, that we, um, our energy and time were spent. Mm-hmm in these pursuits because we didn't have this vast marketplace with all these distractions. Yeah, but we still had plenty of distractions anyway. I mean, I think that I think that people are really good at wasting time mm. and, and having leisure. And I think that what has changed is not so much the fact of these things as much as um, just their just their character. I think they're more insidious. They're more addictive. Oh, I see what you're saying. Those things were always there, you're saying? Kind of. Like, I mean, if we just took something like a leisure activity, like, um, you know, maybe once upon a time people would occasionally go bowling or something. Or or they would maybe occasionally, once again, you know, maybe have recreational tennis or something like that. But now it's like, and you have to go out for those things. And so you right. end up being kind of social and you end up right. with some relationships as a result of it and all of that. And I think that now, I mean, we have those things, but we also have many, many other things, a lot of which allow you to be, to do less to get to get more like sort of dopamine, right? Oh, right, right. Because now we have one click on Amazon and we can get anything sent to us. Talk about like that's a dopamine burst right there. Sure, sure. Right, just by clicking that thing and then it gets sent. Yeah, but also, you know, like if if I'm going to go bowling. Right. Bowling alleys, you know, really try these days. I don't know if you've been in one in a while. They really try to jazz it up, you know, quite a bit to make it. To make it kind of sexy and fun. Well, maybe not sexy, but definitely like more engaging, (laughs) like a lot of, you know, bells and whistles and these kind of things. Oh, yeah, yeah, like the neon lights and all that stuff, yeah. But it's still bowling, you know, like it's still the same. It's still, you're still doing bowling. And if you you play bowling on like your computer. Yeah. Oh, you you could do that. Sure. You don't learn to bowl. Right. You're just hitting a. Yeah. You're just hitting keys to manipulate things. I see what you're saying. But it'll give you more feedback. Like you'll get like like the 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 streamers and the pop of the celebration stuff. Like every time you do something even remotely good, and maybe it'll give you a chance to do something over again. It'll like analyze your your role so you can like write for you digitally, right, or something like that. Well, and it'll give you. It'll just give you like as opposed to me going to the bowling alley, I get a lot more positive feedback from the video game because of the colors and the lights and the way that it's designed to 
give me feedback. Ah, bowling is not to designed, make it engaging. Yeah, yeah, bowling is not designed to give me feedback. It's designed for me to be able to knock down those pins using these techniques. It's not designed to give me to make me feel good about what I did there. Like I have to bring that. Well, and not only that, but in a regular bowling alley, you got to use critical thinking to figure out some of those things you do. that a computer game might oh, tell. In, in the computer right? games, it's so bad. Um, pool, pool is the same way, playing billiards really? on the computer is the same way. Because when you get into the so, – so here I am at the bowling alley, right? Yeah. I'm going to bowl the thing, and I've right. got like a really wicked split, right. say. Yeah. And it takes a lot of skill to, to hit this split, right? Right. Well, if I'm doing it in the video game, it probably gives me some – targeting oh, icons. Right. So to, I can to, to work toward. To help yeah, me help you. To help me see the right angle such that if I get it just right, then I hit the button, then right, we go do the right. thing. But all of that is engaging with me so much more than the pins do. The pins don't give a crap whether I knock them down or not. And really a lot of people in the bowling alley aren't going to care if I do either. And certainly if I do well, there's a very good possibility in a real bowling alley nobody's going to notice at all. Okay, so how does this go back to our point then? Well, it's just that it's just that I get so much more meaning now yeah. from all of these activities. Like when like you do them online? Every, yeah, I mean, but but yeah, definitely there's there's so much more and so a lot of these it's not just online, but the contemporary world is there. It's even more sophisticated. Like some of the things we might have done in the past that would have been meaningful in the way that she's talking about in the past these days, they, a lot of people would rather play basketball on the computer than play basketball yeah. because of the but meaning would, that's manufactured there. Right, but I would yeah. argue, though, that if you and I said, hey, let's start a bowling league, sure. and we went physically to the bowling alley sure. regularly, then the me- we would have to create meaning out of that experience, yep. in a, you know, of like, okay, so how did I do this week? What does that tell me? What do I want to do next week? Like, it's not handed to me. That's right. But the thing of it is that the contemporary world, since it does hand it to you, it ends up hitting me as being more meaningful. And I feel like I got more engagements. I see what And you're I might saying. feel like it's even more significant. Like, maybe I can play bowling online with people from all around the world in real time. Oh. And that seems more significant to me than doing it with the bowling well, alley. Well, you're right. But... We are also seeing everything going digital culturally. We're also seeing a backlash where things like typewriters and vinyl records and things like that, because people are like, I want something real. I want something tangible. I I want something. So it's interesting to see the pendulum also, though, swinging that way. But it's also really problematic when we look at those kinds of efforts because, um, you know, using a vinyl record, using, um, you know, uh, uh, analog stuff is just a giant pain in the donkey. Yeah, but for some people, that effort is part of that effort is what makes it meaningful. meaningful. Yeah, yeah, but okay. but yeah, no, I, I, I do okay. I do understand that. I just don't know that. Um, I I think that what happens is we a lot of people try to do that. Like they'll try to go back to the records, right? And then the they'll find alley. yeah, and then they'll find out oh man, like like the records are really fragile. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and they'll melt if you, like, and leave them in your car. You, you can just and, screw you know, up how you like, use them. And then you they, can't listen to it they, again. Like, once you scratch it. You can't play them in the car. Oh, dude, you know, it's so tough to play I the mean, records in the car. I know. Yeah, yeah. Got to go really slow. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so. and, and I, I think that some of this, some of this ends up creating yet another backlash. 
Yeah. That forces people back into the digital society because this was just too much of a hassle. Like once upon a time, we oh, all we had was records, and so okay. But notice how many like once people got like cassette tapes. A lot of people, I mean, because you can carry them around, yeah. right? They're a lot more interested yeah. in those. And I just think that we've been moving away. I think that we have such a need for convenient stuff yeah. that when something is difficult for us to get to, a lot of people in the contemporary river, world just, ba- just yeah, bail. Just like you go, like, I don't know if you've had this experience where I'm I'm trying to use a map or trying to get yes, somewhere. And sure. then you're like, oh, forget it. I'm just yeah. going to use my GPS. Well, right? I do that anyway. Right. Yeah. Or, or sometimes Maps I'll start. Maps to I'll me are fun. They're not needed. Well, <laughs> anyway. These days. Anyway, all right. Let's continue with, what was her name? I already forgot her Wendy. name. Wendy. Wendy's. Okay. She says, now meaning has moved from a reward to a metric. One, to be endlessly assigned to areas of our lives that previously we would have barely given a second thought. Huh. When we're not immediately able to locate meaning in our actions, we're left feeling anxious, empty failures, jobs, relationships, consumer products, and interactions that fail to meet these dizzying expectations aren't simply seen as acceptably regular. They're marked as waste of time, meaningless failures. So I think what she's saying is when we can't, like, immediately be successful or like someone going bowling and going for the first time, an actual bowling alley. And they're not very good because guess what? It's yeah. the first time. You're That's a novice. Right. Yeah. And then you go, forget it. I'm just going to go back online where, you know, they tell me what I did I wrong. got so many trophies online. Right. Yeah. As opposed to, right? So there's shortcuts. It's like this is why our buddy Justin Mock really advocates for slow living, mm-hmm. right? Not taking all these digital shortcuts in your life. Yeah. Right? Yeah, sure. And so she's saying that... The digital shortcuts sort of become ways that we want this instant gratification because we're used to everything happen so instantly, right? Right. right. So he's, she says, the reality, all this meaning doesn't improve our understanding of the world. It distorts it. Okay. So she says, this is where nihilism comes in. When I consider nihilism and life's meaninglessness, I begin by remembering that in the scope of all human history, I really matter very little. My issues and concerns are pointless, right? Like we've all had that, you know, you're on the beach, you're looking up at the stars, you're like, man, I'm I'm a speck of sand here in the whole universe, sure, right? Sure. My successes and failures will all be eventually be forgotten, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as will the achievement and stumbles of everyone around me. That perspective makes me and my problems feel very small. So she's saying at first you might hear the, like the sense of like, wow, I am just this fleeting presence in this bigger universe and cross time. She says, but nihilism doesn't have to be negative. It, it hasn't, she says, but for her personally, it hasn't led to existential angst or psychological annihilation. She says, in a reality constructed to make everything feel overly significant that actually leaves us anxious and miserable, insignificant offers a strange sense of peace. Sure. While I may feel dwarfed by the scope of endless and apathetic time, the smallest elements of my life begin to expand. If nothing matters long term, my focus shifts to this moment. Mm-hmm. I understand that the present, however mundane, is as fleeting, temporal, fragile, and ultimately forgettable as the greatest events in human history. So the nihilism, she's saying, makes you wonder about what you do and you don't pay attention to. Meaning, this was a great, I thought this was a great example. She says, is what another person thinks of me as meaningful or meaningless as a brush of jasmine tumbling over a neighbor's fence. 
Not really. So why am I consumed by one while ignoring the other? Right? Why, where we choose significance, she's saying, is sometimes detrimental to the bigger picture of what really matters. Well, maybe, but we don't know what really matters. Well, what do you meaning? Well, like, I mean, if we're talking about nihilism, then we don't actually believe that there's any meaning either that we can locate or that's actually out there. So I don't, I don't know that we would find that to be very compelling, that there would be a greater purpose. So, so I think what she's saying, though, is nihilism releases us from having to decide, oh, what, you know, what am I going to focus on to, to try to understand and make meaning and oh. what so-and-so thinks of me? Well, that's fine. But I do think that we're already in a position to do that. I think we automatically make meaning out of what other people do and the feedback that they give to us. And I think that's why, to answer her question, I think that's why we see the comments of the other as being more significant than the jazz than the jasmine on the fence because the con the we perceive the comments of the other as being a direct reflection upon the choices that we've made. Right. And so personally, we, right, right. We see it so, vis a vis so, ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So it's about me in some way. Like it's actually a reflection on things that I've chosen to do or ways I've chosen to be. So I think that since the other can affect me, like if the other doesn't like what I say, they could jump up from their seat and slap me. And the Jasmine won't ever do that. (laughs) And so I think that's why we see it as more significant because there are potentially, you know, more consequences for humans being in our world than. And I think what Wendy would say though is it's, do we overfocus? Like, do we, we right? But that's why, but that's why we do. And I, and I don't know that that's so weird. I think we're wired for that. Yeah. So, so she, she Mm -hmm. ends the article by saying, you know, she wants us to try this exercise. Okay. This thought exercise. Ready? Yeah. If you accept that you don't matter, that your name, ego, reputation, family, friends, and loves will soon be gone. Yeah. How does the way you understand your own time, money, and energy change? Okay? So if all of these things are fleeting and don't really matter, how do I want to spend my time, money, and energy? Right? Like, okay. So it's sort of like a perspective taking. She says, maybe the process reframes your attention to things you hope will last for a little longer than yourself. Mm. Or perhaps it draws you back to the present moment, the small joys you can access today, the people you love the right to feel safe, respected, and well. Nihilism is sometimes described as a destructive force. She likes to think of it as a tool. It helps you dismantle and challenge the way the world has been presented. Sure. With its help, I can pause for a moment to appreciate my reality for what it truly is, random, absurd, sometimes painful, often lovely, completely my own, and totally meaningless. In that way, nihilism makes me free. That's yeah. what she's saying. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, I think that that really. Yeah. Would you focus then on things that will outlast you, or just the present moment and just making no, the just, most? I just pose, I just focus on the present for the most part. You do. Yeah, for Are the you most part. Pretty happy about that. I mean, I think that's all we can really. I think that if we if we try to look to the long term, we just end up 
you know, potentially focusing on a series of present moments anyway. Okay, so what if you're Wendy and I'm like, okay, but Wendy, what about COVID? Like, I have to pay attention to that. I can't just, I can't just like, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't have to pay attention. I choose to pay attention to that because sure. that's part of my world. And it isn't meaningless. It's, there's like consequences. Yeah, but then there's a question of like, I mean, there are consequences, but are is there meaning? I mean, that's not oh, the same thing. Oh, yeah. No, no, you're right. COVID, like, so people trying to make meaning out of COVID. Yeah. That's what you're saying. And yeah. you're saying she would say there is no meaning. It just, yeah, it just happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't a... Um, it wasn't any kind of a, a mandate. It wasn't any it kind wasn't of a It wasn't a sign from God. It was not a sign from God. It wasn't um, anything intentional. Yeah. So she's basically saying, summing up her book, is basically saying it's almost like a mindfulness exercise, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like instead of zoning out on social media or with a Starbucks coffee, like, like, it sort of like goes back to the the times we've read about books that or like books like Happy Money or Bored and Brilliant that that try to help you move from a constant state of distraction and fulfilling needs. I need this and I need coffee and then I need, you know, you know, fancy socks and then I need, you know, a really nice car. And then like I want all of these things, but in the end they're they're very surface and superficial and they don't really feed us in our inner lives. Yeah, but if we're going to, I mean, I don't, again, I don't, I don't, I didn't read the book, so I don't know how she redefines nihilism, but frankly, I mean, if, if she's really talking about nihilism, nothing is going to be meaningful here. I mean, the fact that I make my own meaning is exactly that. I mean, it's no more or less significant than that. So I can't, there won't be anything that's actually, there won't be anything that's actually like superlative or justifiable when it comes to my value. Or there's not going to, I think what you're also saying to, in response, if I'm hearing you right, to what I'm saying is there isn't anything that's going to fill me up inside unless I decide that's right. that that's what's... Yeah fulfilling to me. Yeah, that's right. right. I'm going to bake yeah. my own bread every morning and wow, that makes me feel alive. Sure. And connected to the universe. Sure. Yeah, whatever that is. I Gosh, think that, yeah. It makes me want to delete all my social media, not that I have that much of it. <sighs> Probably wouldn't hurt us. <laughs> you think? You don't think it would? I didn't have it 10 years ago. I don't see where I was okay. on then. Okay. Okay, now wait a minute though. We talked yeah. about this not too long ago. Remember sure. though what I said about it? The one thing that I'm having trouble with letting go? What's that? news from oh. family and friends because oh. people share yeah. like they don't call you on the phone they don't send you a letter they use a lot of times they use social media to yeah. make announcements about what's happening in their life well that might be useful i mean that might be useful i mean i don't know that that's the only way to get that but i see the convenience of it for i sure. know so yeah. uh, should i delete it you know what maybe Maybe I should take this offer. Have you heard about this offer? This company is offering you $2,500 to stay off social media for 28 days. What? Yeah, well, I was looking and I clicked on it because I was like, I was like, okay, what is this really like, about? I can use $2,500. Yeah. yeah. 
but while I was looking at it and oh, and they have you take like this this, you know, uh, assessment throughout the day about social media and how you feel about your life and blah, blah, blah. And I, I was I was trying to figure out whether is it that they pay you or that then you're eligible to win twenty five hundred dollars. I know. But anyway, it was fascinating, though. It was fascinating to read it. And I thought. Maybe I should experiment and get off social media for 28 days and see what happens. If they pay you, you should. Well, <laughs> what if nobody pays me? Should I still try it? Well, I mean, I think that there's probably value in getting off of social media. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Value yeah. beyond the $2,500. Well, I mean, of course, <laughs> if there's no meaning, then no. Would you pay me? Well, how much would you pay me to get off social media? Oh, well, I, how much would I pay you? <laughs> Twenty dollars. You would. Twenty big ones. Take it. Really? Yeah. Twenty big ones. Uh-huh. Maybe I'll do it. Okay. Well, let me what know. What do you think? I don't know if you need this kind of a motivation at all. I don't need, but I'm saying it on the radio, so that that gives it a little making it public. It gives all to the all to the two people that are listening. Yeah, to the both show. of those people hold Patty accountable. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need. What would you? Okay, what would incentivize you to get off social media and have to create your own meaning oh, for twenty eight days? <laughs> I do that already. Yeah, I mean, I would be delighted well, if we, somebody paid me to get off social media. Really? I do. How it. much? Would you do it for twenty five hundred dollars? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. That thing would be done. <laughs> If there's twenty five hundred dollars, really, then I forget would about you want to do it even as just an experiment, or do you? Is it too no. good for you to not give it? Up? I don't think it's too good for me. I do think that it's really helpful for keeping in touch with all of the diverse networks that I have. Yes. Again, but it's the same kind of thing you're talking about. Like it's just passive. Like I could always reach out to somebody over email or phone. If I wanted to, but when people say, "Hey, you know, this is what's going on in this organization," or with my family or with my students or whatever, it's kind of nice. Right. I, well, I, I like and, that. And like we have a, we, uh, in our neighborhood, we have a Facebook page, and and mm-hmm. I like uh-huh. catching up. And that that Facebook page on our neighborhood has been really helpful to me. It is helpful. I agree. But I mean, that's what is. That's what it's for for me, and I think that I, if I had to go back to just getting the information in the other ways that I get it, I think I could probably live with it. Really? Yeah. I wonder if I should try. Although, I need to get around this whole, like, um, like groups that I'm part Like, I need to, I wonder if I could just, like, hide everything else and then just focus on getting news from, and plus, we have a Facebook page. I wouldn't want to give up our Facebook page on for our, for our radio show. Well, again, I guess if it's if it's valuable, but like if nobody ever reaches out to us on the Facebook page, hint, then, hint, then who listeners, cares? I mean, there's no listeners. meaning there. There's no, please give us meaning. Uh, we, please we feel give so meaningless. Us meaning. I think the reality, though, is that you know what nihilism wants us to do is to recognize that all of the meaning is constructed and that there isn't really a meaning. It's not there like to be found. out there. To... I think so. I mean, I like the existential. I like existentialism more because existentialism is more explicit about that point. Yeah. But okay. I think it's in the same vein. So I need to tell you about this movie that I saw. So okay. we have a few minutes left. Okay. So this movie is called I'm Your Man. Okay. And it's a German uh, film, and it's about a woman who's, I'm guessing, like in her late 30s, late 40s. And so she agrees to test out this advanced animatronic, like you, they create a robot to, to, to very lifelike robot to fulfill all your, like, I want this in a partner. Like you make a list, all your preferences, okay. and then they create this 
robot that's and it's played by an actor right playing a robot right and so the movie is about uh, and she's doing it for this other reason she's not really into the idea but she's agreed to do it and so of course it's about the movie is about what happens when she agrees to try out this person this this robot who's not a person and it's such a fascinating film and I don't want to give away the ending but it's it's so like it could have been done really bad, an American movie, right? But this is a German movie, so it doesn't play to all these sort of stereotypes or these, you know, American movie tropes. But it's this really fascinating question about um, it goes back to what we have just been talking about in terms of meaning and how what do human complicated, difficult relationships do for us mm. that a robot can't do and do we want to simplify our lives and get rid of all the human you know foibles and what what would that do to the meaning of that relationship and in our lives it, it was so fascinating huh. it was, I, you can, I don't know if you can get I'm not going to say the ending but what's, the, what's the name of it again it's called I'm Your Man okay really fascinating she falls in love with the blender <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to say what happens, sure. but it's complicated. And uh-huh. and I love that the movie had an ending that, well, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I feel like I don't want to give it away. But let's just say it, it wasn't a, it did not have that simple surface of some American films. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and it just, it really is one of those films, a good film for me. It always stays with you after you've seen it. And um, gives you a lot to think about the human condition. And it did. It was fascinating, this this whole idea of... Because sometimes, right, we go, wow, we're, we're, we're partnered up or we're, we're, you know, relating to all these human beings who are very difficult. Sure. There they are. <laughs> but do you think, are, are you saying then that there's meaning in this? What I'm saying is that the, the who hasn't thought about, like, wow, if I could just dream up my perfect person, right? And just create that person who would just, all egocentric, would be all about me. And so what I'm saying is that while we might think that is meaning, fulfilling our needs, right? Like pouring something in, right, of the missing hole in our soul, whatever. But actually that meaning is to be had in the very human difficulties and strivings and joys and struggles and of being human and connecting with other human beings that that in itself is forces us to create meaning and make decisions about what we value and 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 figure figure it out well, so it was really fascinating. It all sounds very fascinating, and it uh, maybe sounds like it's uh, something for us to talk about the next time we get together. I have at it. Well, I'll program that. I'll program that into <laughs> your memory bank. Yeah, and if you're out there, if you want to talk about any of this stuff or just give yourself some complex problems to work through to see if you can find meaning, we think you probably have the tools to do it. You can take your thinking apart, you can uh, check it for quality, and you can build good habits. People do it all the time. It is for everyone. Even you. 